All right, church, well, if you would, I invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 14 today. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 14 this morning. And if you do not have a copy of the scripture, we'd invite you to take the Black Pew Bible, it's right in front of you, and turn to page 901, and you'll be able to, uh, to follow along with us uh, there as well. We, we really invite you to do that. It's just good to not only take my word uh, for granted, be able to, to read it and follow along as we work through the passage today as well. So this morning, as already has been mentioned, we're going to work on the topic of fear, worry, and anxiety. Now, a recent polls show that each year, more and more people experience anxiousness and fear. And in 2018, 40% of people said that they experienced more anxiety, more stress than, than, than the, the year before. And what, what we see by that is that, and, and the, this has been the trend every year since, since that poll has come out, that every single year more and more people say that they're more stressed out than they were the year, the year before. And, and a, a lot of different subjects kind of are, are involved with that. Um, people said they're worried about their own safety. They're worried about their, the health and safety of, of loved ones. Uh, they're worried about their finances. Um, they're worried about politics and everything that gets stirred up, you know, every election cycle and everything else. Um, and, and it's crazy. A lot of people will think, well, like, they just need good friends. If they're just surrounded by good people, that stress and, and anxiety should go away. But the, this poll realized that most stress comes from friendships and relationships. So the people that are supposed to be helping, the people that are actually supposed to be there to support, oftentimes make it worse. Like, not you guys, you guys are awesome, and, and we love you guys, but, but we, we all have those people, don't we? Like, man, like, I know I need to love them, I know I need to be around them, I know I need to spend time with them, but, like, I just want to pull my hair out every time I'm with them. We all experience many forms of worry, many forms of anxiousness. And the thing I love about this passage in John chapter 14, as we continue to work through the Gospel of John, is that Jesus' disciples at this moment in John chapter 14 were dealing with all sorts of worry, all sorts of fear, all sorts of anxiety. See, last week, Pastor Mike, in John chapter 13, um, I'm not sure if you picked this up or not, but Jesus is talking with his disciples. This is literally hours before he's going to be arrested and crucified Hours before, this is the last time he's able to really meet and talk with his disciples. And they just celebrated, you know, the Passover meal together. And then Jesus says in verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. For the last three years, the disciples had spent day in and day out with Jesus. They ate with him. They hung out with him. They traveled with him. They were, they were part of Jesus' ministry. They left their own friends, their own family, their own jobs. They put their own plans on hold to spend this time with Jesus. And now at a time where they're thinking that Jesus is going to bring in the kingdom, that Jesus is going to usher in God's kingdom now, Jesus says, hey, in just a little bit, I'm not going to be here anymore. And where I'm going, you cannot follow me. Can you imagine the amount of fear and worry and anxiety
anxiety that those disciples felt at that moment. This leader that they've been so committed to, this teacher whom they have spent so much time with, is now just walking away. They had all of their hopes, all of their plans, all of their futures were wrapped up in this one man, Jesus, and now Jesus is saying, peace out, I'm done, and you can't come with me. And Peter, the apostle Peter says, well, Jesus, no, no, no. Like, wherever you're going, I'm coming with you. Like, Jesus, I will lay down my very life for you. And Jesus says, Peter, you will follow me, but not right now. And Peter, by the time this night is over, you are going to, to deny me three times. And Peter, who is such a leader within the group of, of disciples, was kind of publicly put in his place in front of, in front of, in front of the other ten at this, at this point. And the rest of the, of the disciples sit there confused. Jesus, what are you talking about? Where are you going? Up to, up to this point, the disciples had been safe from, from the Jewish leaders, from, from the Roman government, and it seems that as long as Jesus was there, they were safe. But at the very moment that Jesus leaves, they begin wondering, what's going to happen to us? See, the, the Jewish leaders had seen them with Jesus, and if they wanted so badly to kill him, what's going to happen to them as well? And all of these thoughts, all of these worries, all of, the, all of this anxiety flood their hearts and flood their minds. And Jesus, in, in chapter 14, verse 1, sees the, the anxiousness on their faces and can sense the, the worry within their hearts. And, and, and he says these words in John 14, verse 1. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus told them not to let their hearts not be troubled, to stop, to calm, to do not let the panic win. Do not let the fear and worry and doubts that are flooding your heart at that moment, do not let them win the day and say, this is how I'm going to, to look at life. See, these men had already placed their faith and trust in Jesus. It's not like they were unsaved and, and Jesus is calling them to salvation. They had all believed in who Jesus was and they were all part of God's family at, at, at this time. But what Jesus is saying here, hey, just as you have believed in God, just as you have believed in the Father, at this moment, what you need right now is to increase your faith in me. Not to, not to find it, not to begin it, but to increase it, to have more of it, to believe that what I am about to do with me leaving, with me going away, this is actually for your good. And throughout the rest of John chapter 14, verses 2 through 14, Jesus gives his disciples three things to believe when tempted to let fear rule their hearts. All of them, all three of these things revolve around who Jesus is and what Jesus will do for them. So church, this morning, the one thing that I want to continue to go back to is this thought of when you are tempted to fear, focus on Jesus. When you are tempted to fear, focus on Jesus. When your heart is full of anxiety, fear, and confusion, Jesus wants you to focus your heart on him. And church, this morning again, we're going to work through this passage together. And we're going to see three things that when it feels like all the world is crushing in on you, when everything seems to be going wrong, these are three things, if you were a follower of Jesus this morning, 
These are three things that you can focus on, that you can meditate on, that can help in those times when anxiety wants to win the day and rule your hearts. So the first thing that we see here is that Jesus focuses on the fact that he has prepared an eternal home for you. When the day does not go the way that you had planned it, when you get that phone call, when you begin to worry, the first thing that Jesus brings us back to is the fact that Jesus has prepared an eternal home for you. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, read this, In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to, rep- to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. See, Jesus here is giving a picture, a picture of heaven. See, my Father's house refers to heaven, and in heaven there are many rooms or dwelling places. See, the focus here is on the availability and the permanency of our place in the Father's house. In the Father's house are many rooms, each one reserved for every man, woman, and child who has placed their faith in Jesus and trusted in him. And if, we, if you believe in him, there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, according to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. I'm not sure if you've ever tried to get tickets for a concert or, or an event, so you have to wait in line for that. And, and maybe you're, you've been waiting for a while, and, and you get up close near the front, and what happens? Concert gets sold out. Events get sold out. You waited all this time. And you, you, you have, you know, you have taken off of work, whatever you have to do, to get in that line. And when you get to the front, when you, when, when you get to the front, you're disappointed because everything's sold out. Now you've got to go to, like, StubHub and, like, pay three times as much or whatever it is to try to get into the event. But there, there will be no disappointments like that in heaven. There will be no waiting in line wondering if you're going to get in. There will, be, there will be no times where you, where you have to wonder if this is really going to work. Because Jesus promises the availability and the permanency of every single spot in heaven. But I love this in, in verse 3. It says, Jesus then promises that if he goes to prepare a place for you, that he will certainly come again to take us back to himself, so that he may be with us. Church, Jesus acknowledges the fact that he is going away, but it's for our good, because he's going to prepare a place for us. And if he, and if he has left, which he has, he has ascended into heaven, according, according to the book of Acts. People saw, saw this happen. And as he is in heaven right now, Scripture says, according to this verse, that he is preparing a place for us so that we may be with him. Now, church, often, and depending on what translation of the Bible you have, uh, so, some of your translations say, in my Father's house are many mansions. There have been songs written about it. I grew up singing some of these songs, this idea that when I get to heaven, I'm going to live in luxury. I'm going to have, you know, my, my McMansion. I'm going to live in my gated community. I'm going to have everything that I've ever wanted. And so often, when, when we think of heaven that way, we think of, I'm just living at a five-star resort. 
But Jesus says here, the main reason why Jesus is bringing us to heaven is, is why? So that we may be with him. Church, the main reward of heaven is not for you to live comfortably, not worrying about if you can make ends meet that, that month. The main reward of heaven is that you and I will be able to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father. That we will be with him. The, the, this idea of Jesus going to prepare a place for us is actually something that the disciples would be very, um, would, would know very well. See, it, it was, it was the, the Jewish custom at that time when, when a man asks a woman to, to marry him. He goes through all the process, they get engaged, then the next thing that, he, that the man would do is that he would go and build a place for them to stay. Oftentimes in the same, uh, oftentimes connected to the same house or oftentimes on the same property that his family already lives. Some of you people are like, wait, I have to live with my in-laws? Like, I live close. Like, listen, I've done that. When, when Mel and I first got married, we, we, we moved in with my mom. It is not easy. And you may be thinking, no, I don't like this idea of having to, to live with, something, with someone, but Jesus is given the picture that, that the, the man would go and he would prepare a place, he would build a house, he would, he would build rooms or whatever it may be, and then at the moment when that was complete, he would go and, 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 find, and find his, his engaged you know, fiancé and bring her to that house and show her, this is what I have created for you, this is what I have built for you. As normally after that time, they would get married and begin, you begin living together. This is what Jesus is talking about here. That right now, Jesus is preparing a dwelling place for you and for me and for anyone else who has ever trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And just as, a, just as that, that Jewish man would go and get his bride and show, this is what I've created, this is what he's going to do for us. Scripture says that, that one day Jesus Christ will return to this earth. It's called the rapture, where Jesus Christ will call up everyone who has believed in him throughout the church age and bring him back to himself so that they can be with the Father and that they can experience relationship with him on a level they've never experienced before. So Jesus says, yes, I am, I am I'm going away for you now, but remember, I'm coming back. And what I'm doing in the meantime is preparing a place for you. There is a place up there with David Lee's name on it. And if you are a believer in Jesus today, there is a place with your name on it as well. That's not going to, that's not going to go away. That's not going to be given to someone else. That's not going to, um, you know, you're not going to be disappointed when you find it. But Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. See, listen, there's a saying that home is where the heart is. You guys have all heard that before. But Jesus calls our hearts to be where our eternal home is. Jesus calls our hearts not to be consumed with what's going on here, but our hearts to be thinking and focused on the eternal home that Jesus has prepared for us. So no matter how unstable life is now, no matter the pain and loss we experience here on, the, on this earth, Jesus calls us to focus on our eternal home, prepared and waiting for us. 
Now the second thing that Jesus calls us to focus on when our world falls apart is simply the fact that Jesus has paved the way to the Father. Jesus has paved the way to the Father. Verse 5 through 7 says this, Thomas, one of the other disciples, um, said, said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way there? Thomas is the, the quintessential Atlas guy that, we, that we've all traveled with. You guys all know those people. And even though like GPSs and smartphones and everything like that, um, there's something about having an Atlas. You have the big map like sitting, like sitting on your lap, and you're seeing exactly where you're going. My, my wife, Melanie, loves maps. And when we, when we first got married, she bought an atlas, and every place that we traveled, she would highlight. Kind of say, you know, we, we would travel to Buffalo to see your parents. We, we traveled down to, to Tennessee on, on our honeymoon, and anywhere else that we go in between, she would mark the way. And she likes to see where things, where things are and where, where we are going. So Thomas is saying, Jesus, I know you're going away. Just tell us where you're going. Thomas, in Thomas's mind, he's thinking about an actual place. All right, Jesus, you're leaving here. You're leaving us, but where exactly are you heading to? And what, what Jesus says here is that, listen, is that, is that Jesus' response shows that the destination is not a place, but he's going to a person. He's going to the Father. And the way to that destination is not any path or road or highway, but the way to the Father is actually through another person, himself. We see, we see here in verse, in verse 6, Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Church, what Jesus is saying here and what this verse means is that Jesus is saying that he is the only way to salvation. He's the only truth about salvation. And, he is, and his life allows us to experience the new life of salvation. All of salvation is wrapped up in who Jesus is and any hint of, of, uh, of other ways to heaven, other patterns to get to God, any other beliefs, Jesus completely el- eliminates here. And faith in Jesus is the only way the lost world can come to the Father. That is, that is still true today. And while there may be many other pathways presented to heaven, listen, I get it. I, I went to community college. I went to a secular high school and college. I, I, I understand that there are other beliefs about how to get to heaven besides this one. I, I, I understand that. But at this point, you just have to ask the question, who's wrong here? Is Jesus wrong? Where he says, I am the only way, I am the only truth, I am the only pathway to salvation, or, or, or is everyone else correct? And if you ask that question, well, if, if this way is okay and that's way away, okay, listen, someone has to be wrong. They just do. So we all have to ask, ask that very same question, who am I going to take at, at their word? Am I going to believe what Jesus says about himself and, and, and what Jesus says about the way to get to heaven, or am I going to believe someone else? And church, every other leader of every other religious um, sect or, or religious group, every other leader has a tomb somewhere where they have died. 
And they, they've been buried there, and they haven't risen yet. But church, in just a few chapters from, from John chapter 14, is the fact that Jesus did die, yes, but three days later he rose from the grave to prove that he was who he says he was. So church, Jesus is, is, Jesus is, is proclaiming here that I am the only way to salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No one gets to God except through me. Friends, in times of discouragement and doubt, in times when you have those conversations with your coworkers and your classmates, and you get drilled for actually believing this to be true, and when your, your mind is full of doubt, when, when you look at your life and, and you know that you are a believer in Jesus, but man, there is so much sin there, and man, you are, you, you continue to, to fail. And you wonder if you're even savable. At those moments, remember this truth. That Jesus has paved the way to the Father. Jesus has done the work. It's not something that we have to continue to supplement or we have to continue to do after the fact. It has been done for us and he calls us to believe in what he has done. So focus your hearts on the finished work of Jesus, that he loved you enough to send his son to die for you and pay for your sins. Focus on the fact of what he has done and what that means for you today. And church, lastly, the third thing that Jesus calls his, his disciples to focus on is, is, found, is found here in verse 12. So we're going to skip a little bit and go down to verse 12. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So church, the third thing that we need to focus on is that Jesus has promised to provide power for the present. Jesus has promised to provide power for the present, for life now. Oftentimes when we think of Christianity, it's a, it's a, we often think of heaven, as we already talked about today, and we always, it's everything looking forward, everything, man, I can't wait to be with God I can't, someday, I can't wait for this to happen. But Jesus reminds that, listen, this isn't just something that you're waiting for, and that in the meantime, while you're still here on this earth, you're just kind of mad, like nothing is going to happen. Jesus has promised that, hey, I'm going to give you something so that you can complete the job and the mission that I have given to you now. See, as, as the, the disciples were worrying about Jesus, Jesus leaving, I, I bet some of them were thinking this. It's like, you know, up to this point, Jesus had, had invited the disciples in to work with him. They, they had ministered to people together. They, they had healed people. They had, they had shared the gospel together. But that work was not done. And if Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm stepping out, he's, he's then inviting them to, to now step up. Jesus is saying, I'm done, but I want you to continue the work that I have done. Think about how scary that is. Think about how scary that is within your own life. Every time another ministry opportunity comes up, 
Every time God brings another person into your life and you think, man, I want to I influence them for the gospel. I want to share my faith with them. But it's scary. Church, it is, it is way easier for me to stand up here in front of 350, 400 people and preach the word of God. But when I'm sitting across from someone, sharing a cup of coffee with them, I, I get terrified. Just be honest. And Jesus is saying at that moment, at those points in your life where, where you're filled with worry and anxiety and fear, at those moments, Jesus has provided something to help in those areas. We're going get, to get into that even more next week when Pastor Mike talks about the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus bringing the comforter. But for now, I just want to focus on, on this thing. Church, in, in verse 12, it says, I say, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Let me just focus on that for, for just a second. I'm not going to get into a huge theological uh, debate here. If you want to talk, to talk to me about it afterwards, that's fine. You can shoot me an email. My email's in the bulletin. But church, what, what this doesn't mean is that we, are going, that we are expected to do the same miracles that Jesus has done. What this doesn't mean, Jesus isn't saying, if you are a believer in Jesus, you must start raising people from the dead. You must start turning water into wine. You must start multiplying loaves and fish and do all of that. That is not what Jesus is saying here. What I believe Jesus is saying here, and what most commentators believe that Jesus is saying here, is that, hey, your scope, your ministry in the gospel is going to be greater than what Jesus has done. Let me hear, just hear me out. Don't, don't think I'm blaspheming or, or anything like that, but just think about this. During Jesus' life and ministry, the three years that he went around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, um, his ministry was pretty, was actually pretty small in terms of location. He really just went, Jesus' ministry never went outside of Palestine. Never went outside Judah, Galilee, all those areas there. And actually, during Jesus' time here, here on this earth and during his earthly ministry, he didn't really have a lot of followers. I mean, he shared the gospel with multitudes of people, but he didn't have the kind of following that, that the early church would experience just, you know, just that, that same year when Peter preached his first sermon in Acts chapter 2 that we talked about this morning in, in the, the 9 a.m. hour. When Peter preached that sermon, at the end of that sermon, 3,000 people got saved. At that very moment, Peter probably had more people had probably Peter had led more people to Jesus than Jesus did himself in that one sermon. And then if, if you look at the early church afterwards, and as, as it grew and as the gospel spread, you know, within within you know 40, 50 years, the gospel has spread to every part of the known world at that time. Way more than what way more than anything that Jesus had done. So church, if you're here this morning and you're reading this and you're thinking, I've never done any of those things that Jesus has done, that's okay. Jesus didn't call you to raise people from the dead. Jesus didn't call you to, to heal people. Jesus didn't call you to do miracles, but what Jesus did call you to is to spread the good news of the gospel to anyone who will listen. That, that is your calling. A few weeks ago we talked about uh, out of the book of Hebrews, running your own race. Do what God has called you to do. And not everyone has called, God, not everyone has been called 
um, to, to be a worldwide evangelist or, or anything like that. Sometimes God has just called you to reach that family member, to reach your neighbor, to reach those people in your work or, or within, within the, the block that you live in. And Jesus says, as you think about that, even now you may be getting anxious and fearful because you know what comes along with that. And then Jesus gives knowing that we, that we would be afraid and knowing that his disciples would be afraid. In verses 13, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it. And if you ask anything in my name, in verse 14, I will do it. You guys believe that today? You, you, you read the, the, those words, but sometimes it doesn't compute in our minds what that means. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Church, I don't know about you, but I have this, I have this problem when it comes to, to cleaning within, within our house. We have a lot of people over our home, so my kind of job is like, I'm like the vacuumer. That's what I do. You know, Mike talked about a couple weeks ago, vacuuming like a man or whatever. I do that every single week. I'm a master at that. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. And, and you guys may, some people you hear may have this struggle. My house is old, and so some of the outlets are not put in the, in the most uh, convenient spots. So Mel's here, so I got to like not, not spill the beans too much. But there's a certain spot within our living room that I hate vacuuming. Because none of the plugs that I normally use are convenient to reach that spot. It's kind of behind our couch and people within our small group. I'm, you're probably going to be looking at it tonight when you guys come over. But, and so I would like vacuum the rest of the house where it's convenient, where, where the plugs can reach. And instead of me trying to find another plug, I just look at the back there and it looks good. I'm not going to vacuum that. I've been doing that for years. Seriously, like two years. <laughs> but last week... We had, we're having some people over, so I was like, you know, I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to help out this way. And there, there's always been these plugs uh, on, the one side of one, on the one side of our home where that spot is where I normally don't vacuum. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to try something. I'm not sure about you guys. I have these light switches that I don't know what they do. I don't. And I play with them for the last two years that, that we've been in our house. But I just had some epiphany. I said, you know, I'm going to plug in this cord into that outlet, I'm going to flip that switch. And guess what happened? The vacuum worked. I was like, this is like the biggest thing since like Albert Einstein made like the atom bomb in my family. Like, this is huge. So I ran over and told Mel, I was like, I know what that plug does. I know the switch that, that you know, that, that controls that plug. And probably what happened is, you know, someday someone put a lamp there and they just wanted to flip the switch instead of going over and turning on, whatever it may be. But I, I now can vacuum an area in my house that I normally just said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. And the more that I thought about this, and the more I thought about this passage, guys, there are areas in my life, and there are areas probably in your life, that have been so dark, or that have been so uh, difficult to work in. And you may, you may be thinking, I'm, I can't touch that. I'm just going to let it be there. And God, you can, I believe that you can do things in, 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 my, in this part of my life over here, but that part over there, not happening. And we have ignored the fact of even asking God to work there, because in our minds, we really believe that God can't touch that. 
folks, what this portion says is that that, life, that part of your life over there, that difficult relationship, that, that issue, that, that the habitual sin that you are, you've been struggling with for years upon years upon years, and you've just given up to the point where you say, I, God, I'm not even going to ask for you to do something there because I don't believe that you can do it. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's, that plug over there, there's power to that. And that power is asking in my name that you can actually, and believing that I can actually do something there. And I'm not sure what that area in your life is this morning, but I do know what God's word says. If you ask anything according to my name, I will do it. Now there are some limitations there. Jesus is saying, if you ask anything according to my name. That phrase, according to my name, literally means that matches the person's character and purpose and will. Church, what we need to ask has to be lined up with what we know about, what we know about Jesus in Scripture. Is this something that Jesus would want? Is this something that, that, that Scripture tells us that Jesus desires this to happen? But it also has to line up with the fact of, is this what Jesus, even though he may desire it, is this what Jesus wants in your life at this time? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of vagueness and a lot of gray areas in that because we don't fully know God's heart. But these verses don't say, pray to what you understand God wants in every situation. He says to pray and ask it in Jesus' name. I'm not going to get again into the, the deepness of that and try to, and try to you know, debate how do we know what Jesus, what Jesus wants. All I know from this portion, Jesus tells us to pray. And, and if we just start there, especially in those areas of darkness, of difficulty, of doubt, what if we this week or this month committed to, I'm going to pray for that specific person, or that specific area in my life, and I'm just going to ask God to do whatever you see is fit in that time. What might happen? Church, I don't know the answer. But I do know within my own life, I do not pray. I don't pray the way that I should. I don't pray over my kids the way that I should. or our, our unsaved friends, or family. Jesus is calling us here to pray, and just leave the rest up to him. But church, out of all this, Jesus is, is still speaking to a room full of disciples that are confused, that are filled with doubt and filled with fear. And he brings it back to this main point again. When we are tempted to fear, focus on Jesus. When we are tempted to fear, focus on Jesus. As I just call the praise team up as we kind of wrap up our service here today, let me just give you a couple thoughts as we, before we sing. <clears throat> Simply as this, church, just like those disciples, our lives are full of fear and anxiety, yet Jesus calls us to focus on himself and what he has done. And when your life seems unstable and you feel as if you're unwanted and you don't have a home Focus on the eternal home that Jesus has prepared for you. 
And when you doubt your salvation, focus on the fact that Jesus has paved the way to the Father. And when God feels unreachable, focus on Jesus' life and teaching. And lastly, when you feel like God can't work or break strongholds in your life, focus on Jesus' promise here. That whatever we ask in Jesus' name, he will do. And church, those 11 men in that room that night continued what Jesus has started. And by the end of their lives, the gospel had spread farther than Jesus ever brought it himself. So let me remind you today that your story is not done. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in what God can do. Church, why don't we stand and pray before we sing one last time. (laughs) Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for this portion in John. For your call, Lord, to not let our hearts be troubled, but that you, God, would, we would focus rather not on our fear, God, but what you have already done through your son, Jesus. God, I pray for our church today. God, I pray for their struggles, for their worries, for their anxieties. God, many of us have been holding on to them for too long instead of leaving them at the feet, leaving them at your feet. God, many of us have given up thinking, God, that nothing can work here. But God, I, I ask, Lord, that you, would, that you would work in our hearts. Allow us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on the one who promises power even for today. So God, we are asking these things, Lord, that you may be glorified in and through this church and in our, through our lives. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.